Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you guys of Starting Small Summit. On April 13th in Mishawaka, Indiana, we're hosting our first live in-person summit at Bethel University. We're hosting a speaker panel of Joe Foster of Reebok, Stacey Madison of Stacey's Pita Chips and Be Bold Bars, and Dr. Jonathan B. Levine of Glow Science and JBL New York City. I hope to see you guys there and make sure to check the link in this podcast description for tickets and all the details you can find about the speakers themselves. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Max Perez, founder of X-Suit, the world's first stain, wrinkle, and odor-resistant suit with maximum stretch. Revolutionizing the suit as we know today, Max shares an amazing entrepreneurial journey through grit and perseverance. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Max Perez of X-Suit. Max, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Um, childhood, to be honest, uh, very stressful <laughs> with immigrant mm-hmm. parents, uh, a lot of pressure. Um, so, you know, my childhood was just a bunch of studying, school focused. My mom's a teacher uh, and my dad is an entrepreneur. So my dad uh, sporadically started a bunch of businesses uh, for as long as I can remember. He was just in all kinds of different things. And my mom was just like full on into education. And she actually gave up her job and her PhD when I was born to, uh, to stay at home and take care of me and my, my two younger sisters. So, wow. uh, so yeah, we had like a packed up schedule. It was just like school, after school activities, piano classes, um, swimming, lifeguarding, tennis, golf, basketball, snowboarding, um, you know, yeah. extra math classes. Um, so yeah, so just a jam-packed childhood. Um, a lot of fun times, you know, our parents were, st- were taking us uh, traveling quite often, uh, but mainly, yeah, fo- uh, focused on academia. That was like my Definitely. mom's uh, main, main thing. Definitely. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my childhood till I hit the age of 17 years old and my mom shipped me off to china (laughs) wow so yeah what led to uh that what was the reasoning so my mom was um had her kind of mindset into i I was the only boy of the family and i showed to be quite proficient in math and science so when she saw that she just doubled down on that and you know being an immigrant parent they kind of had that stereotypical uh you know doctor lawyer engineer those yeah. kind of jobs set in mind so um so when she saw that i was good at math and science she kind of pushed me into like the best math schools and had those kind of ambitions for me um and when when it came time to apply for university uh, I was kind of naive. I was uh, top of class, um, you know, listening to my parents and whatnot. I started to rebel at the age of like 15, 16, a little bit, uh, yeah. as my dad at that point split and moved to China. Um, so he was like kind of going back and forth between China and Canada. Okay. My brothers were also in China. Um, they've been living there at that point for about like, I would say 10 years. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so when that application for university came in, and you know um i was in class they were explaining us how to apply it was like you know last couple weeks of high school or last month of high school 
Um, they were explaining us how to fill out the form. And then naively I asked the teacher, so where does my mom sign on the form? You know, I don't see like a signature for parents and the teacher yeah. like, your mom doesn't need to sign anywhere. You know, you're an adult, you decide. Yeah. And I'm like, no way. And at that point, my brain just like exploded. And I was like, wow, uh, totally applying for art. Yeah, so I walked into basically my mother uh, sobbing on the sofa, uh, upset and sad. And, you know, I'm, I walk up to her. I'm like, hey, mom, you know, what's the issue? And she just basically said, like, I can't believe that you applied to, to digital arts. You know, yeah, uh, I thought we had agreed upon, you know, what you would go into for university. And then, you know, I was just, I, I came out honest to her, just like, hey, mom, you know, that's not what I wanted to do. It's never what I wanted to do. Like, I like arts. I would like to lean into digital media and whatnot. And at that point, um, she kind of like, in her eyes, I was like rebellious mm. and, you know, straight away. Yeah. And she was like, basically, my son, you're lost. You know, uh, you don't know what you want. So it's best that you go with your father in China. Uh, you know, maybe spend some time outside of your environment to kind of like, you know, get your thoughts together. Yeah. So she bought me a one-way ticket to China. I had visited, by the way, China beforehand mm -hmm. uh, a couple times. Bought me a one-way ticket to China. Basically called my dad saying, your son's out of control. You know, you've got to take care of him. Wow. Um, yeah. And she just booted me. And so at that point, this was 17 years old, which was in 2008 or nine. Got to China, you know, um, was working with my dad. So he gave me some part-time work and he told me, listen, you've got to go to university. Um, so why don't you choose something more sensible? So I chose Chinese language uh, as, a, as a major in university. I studied that, excelled in that. And showing my father that I, I was excelling in, in my schooling, he then kind of came back and said, you know, you can go into, into graphic design now if that's what you really want to. Because uh, I showed him that I was serious and like, you know, I took it seriously. And I just, I had that moment with him throughout the, the couple of years that I was there, just being honest about what I wanted to do. Yeah. And at that point, I switched from uh, graphic design into fashion design. Okay. Um, so I put more interest into, into fashion and that's what I ended up studying um, in university, uh, the International Fashion Academy. So they had like a branch in Shanghai, uh, which is a French university. You know, my mother language is French. So, um, so it just made sense. And yeah, and I majored in fashion design. Wow. Um, and that was the beginning of, you know, the exu journey. I'm excited to hear more about that. I'm, I'm curious, with your time at the university, were you involved with any athletics or clubs? What does that look like in comparison to maybe like the U.S., if you have an idea? So very different, first of all, because the program that I got into, because I had already studied for two years um, Chinese at that point, and I didn't want to, quote unquote, waste too much time in, in studying fashion. Mm -hmm. um, also, I consulted with a bunch of friends of mine that were in the fashion industry, and they just told me, like, to be honest with you, it's good to have a foundation. But, you know, the business of fashion and actually starting up a clothing brand has very little to do with fashion, ironically. Yeah. Right. So when you're starting a company and if your ambitions are to start a clothing brand, the design aspects is like, you know, because it's a it's a part of creativity, 
it's kind of something you have or you don't like to go to school and learn how to be creative is counterintuitive, right? Yeah. So they told me not to waste too much time in university. So and what I ended up doing was because my ambitions were not to have a university degree that I could use to get a job in the fashion industry, it was more to get a foundation of fashion. Yeah. Um, I basically took a bunch of different courses. So let me give you an example. Part of the, the regular curriculum was to take drawing classes. Okay. Now, um, I took those classes because I like drawing and I wanted to improve my skills. But basically, when I when I had my first couple of classes, I was so much more ahead of what they were teaching in the curriculum that the teacher just came to me and just said, like, Max, you're wasting your time in this class. Like, switch it up for another class. Uh, there's nothing I can teach you much more than what you already know. Yeah. So uh, basically what I did is I spoke to the dean of the school. I told them what my what my ambitions were. And also, you know, these kind of universities that are like branches of the official universities uh, back in the West, whether it's in Europe or America, operate a little bit differently in China. Okay. Um, the curriculum does change specifically for the, the courses that I took, which was more targeted towards business people. So they're usually people that are already in in their careers uh, and they're looking to learn uh, about fashion without like doing a blown out, you know, two, three year bachelor. Yeah. Um, so in the end, to be honest, I wasn't, school was not like the main focus since I was working. I was spending, you know, three, four hours doing my courses every day. Yeah. Um, you know, running for my job, going there specifically for classes, leaving directly. I wasn't involved in many activities. I wasn't involved in clubs in the school. Yeah. Uh, I came in with the goal very direct. It wasn't kind of like the, the, the cliche university life. Yeah. Uh, since I had already done that in uh, for my Chinese major. Mm -hmm. And now it was more like, you know, I was trying to get the experience very quickly to be able to launch my brand. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Max's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Yida Home. Offering at-home furniture or in the office, Yida Home offers high-quality furniture at a very affordable cost. I highly recommend their products for your home or your office. I use their coffee table, and wow, it's looked amazing in the office and has made an amazing change for our workflow. So make sure to click the link in this podcast description, and you can find out more at yidahome.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode. So directly following your time at the university there, uh, did you end up working for any other companies or when does the X suit enter? Is that's not right away, is it? No. So basically we had a graduating fashion show mm -hmm. where we're like showcasing a final collection that we work on um, from the beginning of the school year uh, till the end. And then you present, uh, you know, your, your, your big fashion show. And at, at that fashion show, basically uh, it's an open show. So anybody can join. Um, whether that be friends or family, as well as always some guests from companies. So a lot of companies will come at that point to poach uh, students uh, and offer them job right out of school. Hmm. So, you know, you're talking about like big French brands. Um, I remember there was Valentino, there's Dior that comes, wow. uh, LVMH Group, these kind of companies. So the school is quite a prestigious French school. Yeah. And that's kind of like the strategy that the fashion, uh, the fashion brands, like luxuries fashion brands do, is like they come in and they want to get a student as an intern straight out of school and then groom him into staying in the company. Hmm. So we had a bunch of companies and... Um, as I presented my collection towards the end, there was like a little bit of a cocktail party and uh, a couple companies came up to me, um, started chatting up with me. And specifically one of them 
was an Italian PR firm that was working mainly with alcohol brands. Um, so the guy was like very charismatic and he spoke to me and he had like, you know, big plans and whatnot. His company was already quite sizable. I had heard of it, mm-hmm. uh, as they also worked in the nightlife. And I remember going to some events from okay. their company and basically he's just like, listen, I need a creative director for my company. Uh, I need a creative brain, somebody who can manage, you know, events, uh, branding, visuals and all that stuff. And I see from your uh, from your fashion show that you have that kind of skill set because you've done something very differently than your peers. Yeah. So um, in the end, I remember going back and just like thinking about, you know, what's the next step, what, what I do next. And basically he made me an offer uh, by phone that I just couldn't refuse. So I was just right out of school. Actually, that was something that my father was pushing as well before mm-hmm. I start a company on my own. You should get a bit of experience yeah. uh, working for somebody else. So specifically in like a maybe a more corporate environment or like a, a startup where you can kind of see dynamics and understand how businesses run. Definitely. Um, so anyhow, he gave me an offer that was very hard to refuse for a kid right out of school. At that point, I was like, yeah, maybe 24, 23. Oh, even younger than that. No, what am I saying? 17th. Yes, yeah, so I was like 21 or 22 at that point. Wow. Right. So uh, to refuse the pay that he gave me. Um, was just crazy. So I just, I jumped on board and I basically did that for about four to five years, uh, during which the company exploded. So we went from being some 15 employees to like 65 employees and working wow. with brands like uh, Bacardi, Grey Goose, uh, Pernod Ricard, Moe Chandon, LVMH Group. Wow. Uh, yeah. you know, a bunch of very, very prestigious alcohol brands. And, uh, and yeah, and I was managing everything creative for the company, you know, from like whenever we ran some events, any kind of printed material, any kind of, you know, costumes for special theme parties and so on and so forth, everything creatively, uh, marketing material and so on, website, hmm. all that kind of stuff. And that's when I started to really get into um, studying digital marketing. Interesting. Uh, it was at that point since that's when, when things were taking off um, you know, for digital marketing and specifically pushing brands online, yeah, uh, which was like around 2012, I guess, around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's basically where I, I actually gained most of my experience in also HR, you know, finding the right key players, key people in a company, interviewing them, training them, coming mm-hmm. up with SOPs. So the kind of stuff that you wouldn't learn in fashion school yeah. and the kind of things that maybe you learn um, through an MBA, Right. Certainly. Uh, you would learn kind of things, but I kind of learned them directly on the ground running. So I directly hired like some 25 people in the company, wow. uh, found, hired, trained. Um, and yeah, and doing everything from creative briefs, from, you know, meeting clients, obviously learning um, how to pitch ideas, pitch decks and all these kind of things. So all kind of a, a, a different skill set. Yeah, that, that I honed and that that helped a lot in actually later down the line starting Exu. Definitely, um, you know, combined with obviously all the creative skill sets that I had, uh, both digitally and and fashion. Certainly, so that's interesting. Um, I hear that a lot as well when I talk with colleagues that the startup culture and getting that experience is so fundamental on starting your own uh, venture ahead of time. I'm curious, going from the PR firm then and your fashion experience prior, um, where does this entrance of the exit come and what inspired you to launch the exit 
so I, uh, I was working in this corporate firm, had to wear suits every day. Uh, I actually remember coming into the, the office um, wearing, you know, jeans and like an untucked shirt. Yeah. Um, and my boss, after a couple of weeks coming to me and being like, hey, listen, like, you know, you got to upgrade the wardrobe. Like, you know, everybody else is wearing suits. I understand you're a creative guy and whatnot. But like, you know, we have like some very high end customers coming through our office and we want to, you know, give that image of like, you know, wearing the suit gives that image of, um, you know, where we want to be at. Certainly. So he basically took me shopping. I remember uh, he took me shopping like one afternoon and bought me like five suits uh, <laughs> on the company, which was very nice of him. Yeah. Um, and from that point on, like I wore suits every day and I bought another maybe five suits down the line. So I had 10 suits and I was just rotating shirts and whatnot. And I remember uh, a couple a couple moments that I guess were like, you know, the stepping stone to exit. So, you know, first of all, I remember coming home every day. And the first thing I did as I walked in the door was remove my suit. That was like instant. I'm like, I hate the feeling of wearing this. Like, I just want to like, including my shirt and my trousers, the belt, the whole thing. Yeah. I just wanted it off within like a minute of stepping into my house. Yeah. Um, and then I remember small moments. Like I remember staining my suit once with, I don't know what it was, maybe a hamburger <laughs> or like pasta or something. And I couldn't get it off. Right. And I had no time to go home that same day. Yeah. So the stain just like, just very visible all day long. Wow. And when I brought it to the dry cleaner, he was like, Oh, this is oil. You know, you can't, you can't remove this. You know, that's it. It's on you. Like, I'm sorry. The jacket's basically wasted. Yeah. Um, I remember another moment coming out of a taxi to an event. Like this was like one of our, our, our big events coming out, pulling my leg out of the car, ripping the pants, <laughs> like straight down the middle. Um, actually it wasn't down the middle. It was like in a spot that if I stood straight and didn't move, you obviously couldn't see. Yeah. Right. So it was like a hole about a gap this big, like right under the crotch. <laughs> and, um, and like, and I couldn't go back home and I had to be at the event. And the whole night I was with my ripped pants, only me knowing, trying not to move, trying to like, you know, just like wow. being presentable, talking to people. And one other night I do remember being at a bar and my jacket ripping because of me dancing and trying to pull a move and whatnot, suit jacket ripping. But all these little moments, I guess, were the catalyst to coming up with the idea of X suit. Yeah. Um, you know, I quit my job and I, I sat down uh, and started to draft some kind of concepts of what I wanted to do. The suits were not the first thing that came to mind. Okay. I had a few other ideas um, that I'll, I'll, I'll save you from, from going through all of those ideas, um, <laughs> those kind of failures. Just to let you know, and one thing to highlight is that there were failures before Exude came. Yeah. Uh, it was not just direct, you know, Exude boom, success and whatnot. Definitely. Uh, there were other, there was other, pro well, one other project that, that uh, I wanted to launch before Exude that just didn't come through in the end. But then when I came back to the drawing board and I'm like, okay, I've got to come up with something that solves a, a solution, like it solves a problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, not just another fashion brand. That's not what I want to create. I want to create something more functional, uh, more dynamic, uh, something that has, you know, that people will personally reach out to me and be like, wow, this changed my life. Yeah. As opposed to another high fashion brand, you know, printing a logo on some hoodies, like a lot of people do. Yeah. Or just coming up with another jean brand and just slapping a label on it. That, that was not my ambition. So, uh, so yeah, so Exu just came to me in a moment of just, you know, Eureka was just like, it was an epiphany. It was just like, oh my God, nobody's doing stretch suits. Doesn't exist. 
Yeah. And I did the market research and I went through all, all kinds of brands and I bought all kinds of samples, all the ones that say stretch, buy stretch and whatnot, tried them on. I'm like, this is not stretch. Yeah. It's not like, it's not an active wear stretch. It's not like Lululemon or like, you know, these kind of performance brand stretch. Yeah. And you know, that's where I've just like connected all the dots and I'm like, okay, it's gotta be stretch. It's gotta be easy to maintain. It's gotta be machine washable. You know, um, the stain resistance was something I had in mind. I didn't know how doable that was um, at that time, but it was something I had in mind. Yeah. Easily packable. I'm like, why do I need a steamer? I had to actually buy a steamer from <laughs> own suit. I never had a steamer before. I had an iron, never a steamer. And I remember having a, a talk with someone who said, oh, you have a suit, you have to have a steamer. It's just, you know, that's how you got to do it. The shirts and the suits. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, why do we need steamers? Like why? Um, so yeah, so all these little experiences, these ideas all came together basically um, into the exit. You know, that's where the exit was born. That was where, you know, I listed all the problems. I started to work on the solutions, working on fabrics, working on fit, uh, working on nanotechnology, you know, learning all about nanotechnology. Yep. And, um, and yeah, that was like the foundation of the project. Um, wow. You know, prior to inception, on Kickstarter. That's amazing. I'm curious then, kind of taking transparency, uh, maybe to the, the drawing board, what does the R&D and like the prototyping process look like when trying to create that stretchy material that's resistant with water, etc., without having a product that's done it before? Um, so the R&D, to be honest with you, first of all, um, excuse me, um, First of all, developing a suit is probably one of the hardest garments you can make. Right? Yeah. Comparative, of course, the jeans, t-shirt, hoodies, just from the complexity of the pattern and the amount of workmanship required, right? So if you look at a hoodie, for example, um, maybe you've got, you know, let's say 20 different constructions, right? So like yeah. putting on the sleeve, closing the rib at the cuff and so on. Whereas the suit, you would have like 200 different steps in creating the jacket, which is like a very, very extensive garment. Yeah. So whenever you want to make any kind of changes, you got to take into account many different um, construction details in, in the garment. So first of all, I mean, just learning about a suit fit and pattern was like, that was for me an R and D in itself. Yeah. Um, before even starting to like trying to innovate it. Then in terms of fabrics, so fabrics were different, definitely the biggest challenge. Um, I sourced all kinds of fabrics. I went from, you know, track suits to, to, to like non-conventional things you wouldn't think of in a suit, right? I didn't go like starting like, oh, let me see suit competition. Yeah. And let me see what other people do. I went like the complete other way. I'm just like, hey, let me see what the sport industry does. Let's see what the performance industry does. Let's check out brands like Gore-Tex. Um, that are doing, you know, hiking wear. Let's check out Arcteryx. Let's check out Lululemon. Uh, you know, let's see brands that are really trying to innovate in terms of fabrics and comfort. Yeah. And that's kind of the route I took when I started to develop Exude. And the issue with that, to be honest with you, is that I took non-conventional fabrics that are not, uh, that manufacturers don't have experience making suits out of, which was probably one of the biggest challenges. So a lot of the fabrics that actually I wanted to use initially on the exit, when I brought them to suit suppliers, so you've got to understand that there's like, um, fabrics are split right down the middle into two categories, one called woven and the other one's called knits. Mm. So knits are essentially a hoodie, 
a t-shirt that's all knitted construction yeah. and woven are things like jeans suits um you know they're stiffer fabrics they don't move as much they're more stable and they're easier to work with in general yeah uh whereas knits are unstable they have stability issue like take your hoodie and pull it you know very extensively and see how slowly it returns back and so on and so forth there's a lot of stability issues a lot of stretch going on in knits so to be able to take a knit fabric and apply it to a suit is very challenging for a lot of manufacturers so actually making one sample is not an issue I could find tons of people to make a suit sample in any kind of fabric in any kind of super stretchy knit fabric, yeah. but finding the right factory that can mass produce that is an issue, mm. uh, especially in China. So that was one of definitely the most challenging parts um, in developing the X suit was finding the right material and being able to find the right manufacturer to put that material to use on, on a, on a production line. Mm. Um, at the exception of that, the other, uh, the other only challenging part in the R&D process was really the nanotechnology. So likewise, nanotechnology um, is fairly new. I wouldn't say it's, it's the newest thing ever, but it's been around for maybe 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's only a few brands that are doing it right. So you've got a lot of companies that are doing nanotechnology, but very few of them that are doing them um, like high quality that actually lasts like a bunch of washes. Yeah. So first of all, finding those companies and second of all, applying that technology to um, um, our fabric um, was also a challenging feat as there's a lot of things to take into consideration. Uh, Not all fabric can have nano repellency on it. Mm. Uh, I mean, yes, you could apply technically to any fabric, but not all of them will perform well with the chemical. Yeah. Um, You know, based on the fibers and so on. Uh, that was also a whole trial and error process that lasted quite a while. So between those two things, again, if you see it's primarily fabric focused, right? Yeah. Everything else um, are just details in garments. So the fabric, the the nanotechnology embedding it onto the fabric and actually getting the fabric on the suit was was the main R&D in, in creating the X suit. Certainly. So there's a lot of talk around the material and the comfort of the suit itself. I want, I'm curious on the aesthetic side, what your inspiration and what you wanted to pursue with X-Suit um, aesthetically with the style of the suit itself. Uh, aesthetically, so when I looked at the competition, especially the big brands like Suit Supply uh, might be one of the most known names in the suiting industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I found is that they're really focused on fashion, right? Um, you know, they do like a bunch of different lapels with a bunch of different fabrics, a bunch of different colors, uh, and so on and so forth. And that was never my ambition in, uh, in Exu. Like I wanted it to be like a timeless piece. Yeah. You know, something that you can wear today that you can wear in 10 years. Uh, and it still holds the, like, it stands the test of time that it could like, you know, uh, be a classic suiting that like you know you don't have to buy like a, a bordeaux pinstrip suit this year and next year you're like looking at it and you're like oh my god why did i buy that you know it's completely out of style yeah. so i wanted to have something that was more toned down um that was more um apple-esque uh, like a few brands do you know like i think arcteryx has that kind of apple-esque very clean aesthetics very minimal yeah um <clears throat> i mean of course today arcteryx is a huge company they're forced to do a bunch of colors uh, and styles and whatnot. But when they started at the base, it was very like, you know, minimal tone colors, um, stuff that again is not flamboyant with like details and prints and patterns and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So styling wise, yeah, I just wanted to keep it simple. Uh, keep the quality high. That was one of my requirements. Like I'm like, Hey, I want to have like a quality suit that's durable that can, you know, really stand the test of time. Definitely. And you know, yeah, that you can you just pack up where anywhere in any environment, whether that be a wedding or like, you know, uh, the office or a night out, it would look good in all these different situations. Mm-hmm. And that was the main, the main motivation, um, when creating the styling for exit. With so many advantages and differences from your competitors, I'm curious, what were some of your main marketing strategies to project that then, starting out at the launch and as well as today? Um, I mean, comparisons are going to be a huge one, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we were, especially at the beginning, we were using brand names much more than today. So today we're kind of killing that. But at the beginning, we were directly taking jabs at specific suit brands. So I think the biggest ones are going to be Suit Supply and Hugo Boss. I think they're the most known suit brands out there. Yeah. And we were specifically buying, mentioning the brand names and so on and taking jabs at like, you know, are you still really wearing those suits, like those grandpa suits that like, you know, make squeaking noise when you're moving and so on? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, again, you know, competition breeds excellence. And I do hope that these brands do catch up because I think that, you know, the suit market is evolving quite quickly and especially people, you know, our age and, and that are in our medium that don't require to wear suits anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a dying market for a lot of, you know, uh, where maybe in the old day you would have to, you know, be in an office and, and look presentable in a way that like, you know, you'd have to wear a suit on camera and so on where today it's totally acceptable to be in a hoodie, for yeah. to be in a t-shirt. You know, Corona has changed that furthermore. Definitely. Where it's like, you know, you don't need to wear anymore, like dress up like crazy, but it does look good. You know, it does look good on a man. You know, yeah. suit blazer, does. it's a good look, right? But the reason why men choose not to wear it is just because it's uncomfortable. And, you know, when you're working and you want to, you know, achieve something in your day, your week or whatnot, you know, I think that comfort plays a big part in that, right? If you Definitely. feel good yourself you're not like stiff and you're like feeling like you know uh you're constricted i think that you can achieve more and i think that's the main reason why men choose not to wear suits anymore any kind of company um you know this is something that i tell a lot of my friends and a lot of um, my younger sister's friends as well that ask for advice it's a long road and it's never ending and it's super Mm. super challenging and it's much easier to work for someone. So if you don't come in with low expectations, right, and come in with, you know, expecting to work long hours and to work off hours and you're on 24-7, I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course, not 24-7, but you get, you get the point, uh, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And most people are going to give up really early. And entrepreneurship is... Yeah only made for a slim percentage of people. I don't think it's for everyone. I think that a lot more people are better off Definitely. getting a job, a good job that pays well, um, as opposed to trying to build something and then you know not getting to their goals as quickly as they expected to and giving up quickly. Um, it's definitely something for uh, people with a thicker skin, you know, who are willing to put in the time, not see the Mm. results potentially for years. I mean, you know, you could be failing for two, three, four years before you hit gold. I can give you, you know, 
tons of examples of well-known yeah. companies, not even all the small ones, but like companies like Tesla as an example or Apple. I mean, just take the big boys and you'll see that all of them had a point yeah. of complete failure and literally almost losing everything before, you know, they, they had grit, they stuck to it and they came out of it, obviously. Um, but, you know, those are the big companies, but I can tell you there are hundreds, if not thousands of companies that go through that before you know hitting gold. So I think that that's number one Definitely. advice is, hey, come in with low expectations, get ready to work your ass off nonstop uh, until you, you succeed. Definitely. And, you know, don't give up. If you believe in your idea and you see that initial traction, people like what you're doing, don't give up. Just don't give up. And, you know, if you've got to do other things on the side to sustain yourself while you're setting up uh, whatever business you're trying to, you know, that's what it takes. And that's what, you know, being an entrepreneur takes. Definitely. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, I was actually able to uh, try the X suit. And I'm excited to use the X suit at Starting Small Summit this April. And when Max is talking about the comfort, it's no joke. I, I, it's the most comfortable suit I have ever worn. I'm not joking at all. I've worn many suits throughout my years. And what he has built with X-Suit is very impressive. So all the guys listening to this episode, I highly recommend X-Suit um, for just both casual business and for working in the office. So make sure to check them out at xsuit.com. And again, Max, thank you so much for joining me. It really means a lot. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.